today on the podcast by a very special guest, Ohio State Senator Nira Janthani. State Senator Nira Janthani is serving his first term in the Ohio Senate. He previously served three terms as a state representative in the Ohio House of Representatives. He is the first Hindu American state senator in Ohio history and the youngest Hindu American elected official in the United States. Welcome, Senator Anthony. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. So you've really been a trailblazer and made history in politics in a number of ways, uh, both because of your age as well as being a Hindu American. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into politics? Uh, what motivated you and drove you uh, to the point that you are today? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me and I'm very grateful for everything uh, the Hindu American Foundation uh, does for for all of us. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, I was elected when I was uh, 23 years old as a state uh, representative. I'm, you know, I've been the youngest currently serving uh, Hindu elected official for the last uh, decade. Uh, and, and also now the first Hindu American, Hindu American state senator in uh, Ohio history. Uh, but, you know, I got involved in politics at uh, a very young age. In fact, you know, I really started when I was, you know, 15 or 16 years old. I, you know, interned for my congressman. I, you know, worked on the McCain campaign in, you know, 2008 while I was in high school. And then in college, you know, did a variety of different things, worked on, uh, you know, the presidential campaign in 2012, interned, you know, on the Hill in D.C. for a member of Congress, uh, you know, except. And so, you know, I had already really been involved in politics for a, a long time when I first got elected. Uh, but, you know, my first race was, you know, pretty unique. Uh, in 2014, I was, uh, you know, 23. And uh, unfortunately, my predecessor in, this, in the state house, you know, passed away of cancer. But what followed his passing was a, a special election where there were four other Republicans, all of whom were, you know, twice my age. Um, you know, all of whom were, you know, Christian or Catholic, and uh, and and I beat them all uh, by very few votes, uh, but I was able to to beat them in that in that first race. Great. And did you um, along the way, you know, as you were kind of coming into um, your role as a first uh, uh, state representative and then now a senator, facing any face any challenges in terms of being a Hindu American, or was that? identity really not as relevant um, for, you know, local constituencies or on the campaign trail? Uh, how did you, I mean, if that was a challenge, how did you deal with that? Or if it wasn't, you know, what part of that, uh, that process did that play? Yeah. So what's, what's interesting is that we thought it was going to be a significant challenge. Um, and it really has not borne out to be. So, you know, when I first got elected, you know, we considered actually only putting my last name on our logo. My last name is Antani, which, you know, is very Indian. Um, and, uh, but, you know, without the name Niraj in front of it, it could be Italian. It could be something else, right? And so we were, you know, quite worried, you know, being in a district that is, you know, 97% plus Caucasian, you know, Christian, that, that being a, you know, Hindu and Indian American would impact. Uh, but it really has not. 
uh, you know, I've won now three primaries. Um, you know, I've, I've won in 2018. I won with 63% of the vote against two opponents. And in 2020 for the state Senate, I won uh, 63% against two opponents. Now, you know, what I tell people is, look, do, do people every now and again, when I'm, you know, knocking on a door, do they say, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, do you know Dr. Patel? <laughs> Knowing that there's, you know, 50 Dr. Patels in the Dayton area. Uh, and I say, yes, of course I know Dr. Patel, right? Uh, do some of them say, you know, hey, do you like Amar India or Jeet India, the, the two main Indian restaurants in Dayton? Uh, and I answer their question. I say, yes, I like, I like both of them. Now I kind of prefer Amar India, but I like both of them. <laughs> and then, you know, at times do they say, Hey, look, what is that, you know, dot that, you know, any women wear on their heads or, or why do you, you know, why, why do you worship cows? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, could that be offensive? Maybe, but I, I'll tell you that, you know, 99% of the time they're asking out of, you know, genuine, uh, genuine curiosity and genuine, you know, the fact that they just don't know. And so, you know, I'll answer and I'll say, look, well, cow, we don't worship cows, but they're holy because of, you know, X, Y, Z or, or, you know, one, two, three, or whatever the question is. Um, and, and so to me, it's more of an opportunity to educate rather than, uh, rather than, you know, sort of chastise. Right. I mean, you know, 99% have, have we run into instances where, you know, it's not out of curiosity, it's out of, you know, malice. Sure, of course, that, that happens, but it hasn't happened to a point where it's affected me significantly. Um, and, and everything really has been more out of genuine curiosity, right? I, I, I tell the story where, uh, you know, another state rep actually from Cincinnati, about an hour south of, of where I live, you know, there's a temple down there, obviously. And, and it's, you know, like most Hindu temples, it's behind a tree line. And, you know, he comes up to me and it's in his district and he says, hey, you know, I, 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 I've always seen this building and I've known it's a Hindu temple. I know that, you know, you are Hindu. And I, I went to go check it out. So I, I drove into the parking lot and um, I got chased away by security, you know, lights and sirens. The security guy chased me away. And he said, are people allowed to go in there? I said, yes. His name's John. So yes, John, I will happily arrange a way for you to see the temple without, you know, uh, you know, weirdly driving around the parking lot in circles, right? But <laughs> um, like there's, you know, it's it's just it's lack of knowledge and genuine curiosity, you know, much much more than than malice, even in even in the Republican Party as a Republican. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned education and awareness. Do you see yourself as somebody and in your role as somebody that can help bridge that gap to clarify misunderstandings or to help um, serve almost as a representative of the community, given your your role in political office and some of these questions or some of the curiosity that comes up? Yeah, look, I think that just by the virtue of the fact of being an elected official, I am you know, one of the more visible Hindu Americans uh, in America, you know, obviously, you know, Roger Krishnamurthy and, you know, some others, I know not every, not every Indian American elected official is Hindu, but some of us are. Uh, and just so just by the fact of, of being Hindu, we are, you know, spokespeople uh, for, you know, being Hindu. And, and so I think that's important. And I take that, I take that role very seriously. And, 
you know, I'm, I'm answering questions all the time. And so, you know, I think that's, that's very important. And, you know, growing up in the area that you did, what role did Hinduism play in your, uh, you know, your life experiences, uh, just being an American? Um, and how did that influence or not influence your work or your eventual uh, journey into politics? Well, I mean, I think it, it, it influences everything, right? I mean, what I believe is Hinduism, how I live is is Hinduism. Um, you know, obviously, I've I've been going to the temple since I was very young. Now, obviously, when I was very young, we mostly, you know, played outside with the other kids. But, uh, you know, growing up, right, I mean, I, I am Hindu. And so, you know, I very much believe that, you know, my, uh, you know, my, my views uh, have been shaped and, you know, how I operate have been shaped. And, you know, I would say, you know, not, not necessarily political views, but, you know, morals and, and ethics and, and the like have, have all been shaped by, by Hinduism. And, you know, for, for better or worse, um, you know, the community has um, largely both in terms of voting as well as those that are elected officials have been primarily Democratic. So you kind of bucked the trend a little bit there um, as as being a Republican. Uh, do you see the, uh, any shifts now? I mean, when you got into politics, it was about 10 years ago. Um, and obviously still the majority of public elected officials, I believe, that are Hindu-American are Democrats. And in terms of voting, it's still Democratic. But do you see any shifts in uh, any movement in terms of where the community is politically at all? Yeah, I, I think there has been. I mean, if you look at the, the data, there's maybe been about a 10 point shift toward Republicans. And and I would say, you know, primarily for a few reasons, um, you know, Indian Americans should naturally vote Republican. Right. When, when it comes to fiscal and economic policy and health care policy, Republican policies benefit our our community, right? Uh, as the highest earning, highest educated, you know, population. So that's that's number one, right? So just naturally, we, we should be Republican. Uh, number two, I think that you know the democratic treatment of Hindu Americans and Hinduism, you know, as they kowtow to you know radical Islamists have really turned off, you know, many and, and woken up many, you know, Hindu and, and Indian Americans, right? The the political left, you know, is in the pocket of care, uh, is in the pocket of uh, you know, you know, different Islamic groups, uh, et cetera. Uh, and these groups go after Hindus, right? They go after our Jewish friends, they go after our Christian friends, and they go after us. Um, and it's hard, I think, when you're the, in the political left, you know, uh, to uh, not, you know, sort of, you know, kowtow to, uh, you know, these Islamic groups and their sympathizers. You know, the example I give is, you know, World Hindu Congress, which was in 2018, I think. Uh, there were a variety of Indian and Hindu American elected officials that were supposed to come and speak at World Hindu Congress. But then the, you know, these Islamic groups started their attacks and all but two of us canceled, me and Roger Krishnamurthy were the only ones who didn't cancel our attendance at World Hindu Congress. And so, 
you know, I think it's it's very difficult, uh, you know, when you're on the political left. People would say it is on the political right with, you know, the evangelical community. But, you know, I can tell you, I go to evangelical conferences and it's it's never been a problem. Maybe it was 20, 30 years ago, uh, but it's not it's not now. So, you know, you um, kind of raise an interesting point about some of the Hindophobia we've seen uh, coming from the far left and that some Democratic uh, Hindu American officials have faced themselves attacks and perhaps have not been protected by the party. Um, have you faced anything similar um, in, in terms of just attacks or being Hindu American or accusations of dual loyalty or being some type of a scary nationalist, Hindu nationalist or anything like that? Well, you know, the attacks on, on me have not come from, you know, Republicans of the political right. They, they've all come from, you know, frankly, the, the Islamic community. Uh, you know, Peter Friedrich has a website about me and me and it's me, Raja uh, and uh, Padma Kupa, you know, are the three he, he has websites about. And so, you know, yes. Now, what I would say is that I'm a little bit more insulated because I don't rely on the Muslim vote. I don't reply. I don't rely on the Muslim vote to get elected. I don't re- rely on, you know, Muslim Americans to donate to me. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the Republican party. And, you know, I mean, I think we, we just, we, we don't receive support from that community. Um, and, and so I'm a little bit more insulated in what I can do, you know, to give is, and, and she's a great friend, you know, Pavan Kupa, her and I were the only ones who put out statements uh, to condemn the dismantling global Hinduva uh, conference. But, you know, even her statement was just a little lighter, right? It talked about defending free speech and, you know, just, you know, dialogue and all this, where I just simply just, you know, carte blanche, right? And and so, you know, look, I, I'm sympathetic because politically that's just what somebody in the Democratic Party has to do. Uh, but that is where the Democratic Party is now, right? I mean, uh, you know, look, I, I get it. Republicans can be criticized for a variety of reasons. But on this issue, you know, of being in the pocket of care, the Democratic Party is absolutely. And and we as Hindu Americans should be against that, right? Because, look, I as a Republican elected official, I don't want our issues to become uh, a one-party thing, right? Supporting Prime Minister Modi's right to assert the abrogation of 370 and to sign legislation like CAA, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. That should be, you know, a pro-Hindu issue. And, and so, you know, we don't, we don't want the Democratic Party to turn against us. In fact, we want it to be the opposite. But that, that is where the fight is currently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in terms of, you know, the extreme left, do you see, I'm sorry, the flip side of that, do you see any um, attacks, at least around issues dealing with immigration that get tied to um, Hindu Americans, H-1Bs, et cetera, coming from the far right at all? Do you see what is, how does that look at it within the Republican Party? Or do you see those um, issues being prevalent or those attacks being prevalent at all? Um, you know, I, I would say a couple things. You know, I think that there is a, you know, there is a debate happening within the Republican Party about uh, legal immigration. And there are certainly, you know, those, um, you know, like, you know, Jeff Sessions, who, uh, you know, lost his Senate uh, race, um, 
you know, he he sort of led this sort of anti-legal immigrant charge. Now, what I would say is that was not anti-Indian or Hindu. That was just anti-immigrant, right? So, like, that can certainly, sure, like, I certainly oppose that, and I'm against what Jeff Sessions says and does. But, um, you know, that wasn't targeted at us. That was all immigrants. And so, you know, certainly, you know, that exists in my party, and, and I am a voice against that in my party. Uh, but I would argue that, you know, on the Democratic side, you know, they really just talk about illegal uh, immigrants, right? Um, uh, you know, they, they don't really even care about legal immigrants. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, each party has its own problem. And I admit to when the Republican Party does, but but the Democratic Party has its problems as well. Sure. Sure. I think that's fair. I want to zoom out a little bit away from just kind of Hindu Americans in, in terms of politics and just ask you kind of a broader question. I think, you know, a lot of Americans, we certainly see this in our community, but I think it's uh, all Americans to an extent really overly focus on what's happening at the federal level on what's happening in Washington, D.C. with various issues. Um, but often at the expense of overlooking the local and state level governance, um, you know, what would you tell people in terms of the importance of being involved and paying more attention to local and state politics? Well, I mean, certainly at, at the state level, which is, you know, where, where I am, you know, the local level, you know, city councils, et cetera, you know, I think are important because, you know, school boards will dictate, you know, what students learn and, you know, city councils, you know, really, honestly, just sort of the building of, of temples, they can, you know, zone you out. Uh, and then, you know, we know about the federal, but, but, you know, the state level, you know, certainly uh, for education, you know, school boards, you know, develop curriculum, but, uh, you know, we, you know, set standards and we set, you know, a lot of that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously state budgets are, are pretty, you know, significant uh, and large, uh, but a lot of daily lives are, are governed, you know, by state governments, right? Federal, you know, is, is foreign policy and national security and, you know, social security and Medicare. But, but as far as, you know, the governing of, of day-to-day lives, you know, state government, you know, is, is where it's at. And also I would say it's very easy to develop a relationship with your state representative or state center. It's much harder for your congressman and, and 50%, 49% of members of Congress were state legislators. And so, um, you know, uh, if you can meet them when they're a state rep or a state senator, you'll, you'll know them when they're a congressman. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, see people increasingly recognizing this? I mean, a, a lot of the larger political battles at the federal level either get stuck in gridlock or and, and just don't get done or they you know, go in a direction, you know, for those that are ideological on either side of the spectrum that, you know, are not to their liking. Do you see the battle shifting more to the state level? Um, not really. I think the only reason that there's been an increase of state of awareness of what happens at the state level is because of COVID, right? You know, and whether you are pro shutdown or anti shutdown or pro vaccine or anti vaccine or, you know, pro health order, anti health order, whatever your position was, you know, pro mask, anti mask. It was all at the state level. And I think people, you know, realized and, and kind of said, you know, wow, you know, the state level has a lot of power here. And so 
you know, I think that increased awareness, but, you know, I think, you know, it was really in and around that. And I think it's actually, you know, subsiding quite a bit as things normalize. Interesting. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, because, you know, one of the things that we've noticed at HAF is a lot of these, you know, activists, uh, South Asian activists, Islamist activists, Khalistani activists that, you know, traditionally always focused at the federal level. We see them bringing their politics down to the local and state level uh, quite quite a bit in the last few years, probably post-2019 in particular. Um, and we see all these resolutions popping up, uh, anti-CAA, uh, Citizenship Amendment Act, which of course is only a humanitarian law to help religiously persecuted refugees, but is spun as this, um, you know, terrible, um, you know, uh, bill that's persecuting Muslims in India. But we see a lot of that type of stuff coming down to the local and state level, um, both through resolutions, proclamations, as well as just attempts to kind of really influence local politicians and state politicians. Uh, Why do you think that is? Why do you think that at least is kind of we're we're seeing a little bit of that moving, trickling down to the local and state level? Yeah, I I think honestly, I think it's because they haven't seen any movement at the federal level, and, and I'll be honest, you know, look, while they are loud, they are not smart, them meaning, you know, sort of the anti-Hindu, you know, pro-radical Islamist, you know, groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that they just, it makes them feel good. It's where they can win battles. And so that's what they're doing. But, you know, they have to, you know, realize it has no effect. You know, they're they're non-binding resolutions but my guess it would be is because they realize you know they're not going to win big at the federal level they can win at the local level and, and so they're they're moving you know to that direction one area though we've seen that it has is going to have likely an impact and it's already starting to is this attempt to insert caste based policies um, at the state level, we've seen attempts in California and Massachusetts at the university level, many of which are public um, state run universities. Um, and then, of course, in the corporate sector, which is slightly separate, um, but even at local and county uh, governing bodies. And it's really an attempt to, you know, insert uh, non-discrimination policies around the issue of caste. Um, but just starting with, you know, kind of really from a high level perspective, when I s- Talk about caste policies. What do you think of when you think of caste? And what does it mean to you, if anything? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I thought a little bit about this as this has, you know, been popping up um, and and used as an argument, you know, against us. You know, look, I I am, you know, probably one of the more prominent Indian Americans in the country, you know, probably top top 25, top 50 for sure. And, you know, I'm talking to Indian Americans and Indian Americans every day. I'm speaking at events. I'm out there. And I can tell you that the issue of caste in my entire life has come up once. And it's a very vivid memory. It was seventh grade. There was a section of social studies that was world religions. We and every every, you know, Indian American who has grown up in America has gone through what I'm about to describe. Okay, seventh grade, world religions, it's Hinduism day, right? We're learning about Hinduism. 
And as the token Hindu in the class, I am now the spokesperson for all of Hinduism, right? And so I have to answer every question that they have, right? And I remember that they they did, you know, they brought up caste and, and I was asked the question, what caste are you? And I and I didn't know, right? I mean, I was in seventh grade. I didn't know what I was. And so I had to I remember going home that night and asking, right? And you know, and then it was, you know, everything was explained to me. But in my entire life, that's the only time caste has come up. Now, what, what does come up is, you know, are you Gujarati, are you Punjabi, are you, you know, Telugu, you know, what have you, right? And, you know, all that stuff. But but caste has never, ever come up in my life. I mean, it's really incredulous to think that, you know, they're trying to say that this is a thing when, you know, it just simply very much is not. And your story is probably not that dissimilar from, you know, most Hindu Americans that uh, that grew up here in that never and never really being a relevant issue or really nobody even knowing what it is um, or really understanding it. So where do you think this is coming from in terms of the motivations to try to now insert this? Is this like the next frontier in terms of woke politics? Um, what, what do you think the motivations are behind trying to get it in a systematic manner, really added to non-discrimination policies at uh, multiple levels? Well, I, I would say a couple things. I think that, you know, again, the, the radical Islamic community and their sympathizers are doing everything possible to tear down uh, Hindus and Hinduism. Uh, in America and across the world, they, you know, as as we have, you know, risen in America around the world, they see us as a as a threat, and so you know they are trying to tear us down, and this is their, you know, next attempt at at trying to do that. Where do you see it going from here? Do you think that it's going to have legs? Um, do you think that there's going to be some level of success in getting it? added in, you know, multiple spaces where it could impact the community negatively? Well, I don't know how it has legs because it's just not true, right? I mean, there's just not enough substance there to be attacked on, right? I mean, no, nobody, you know, like, it's just not a thing anymore. I mean, maybe it was 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, but it's it's not now, right? And so, you know, I don't I don't think there's enough you know, look, in order to levy an attack, right, because we do this in politics, in order to levy an attack, like, there has to be enough substance there. If you're going to attack another candidate on his tax problems, well, there has to be some tax problems, right? Because yeah. if the tax problems don't exist, you can't attack him on not paying his taxes, right? Yeah. And that's kind of where we are here is, look, you know, we as Hindus, we, we pay our taxes. And so, there's really no, there's not enough there to attack on. Um, again, maybe a hundred years ago is different, but you know, as long as I've been alive, right? It, it there's just not enough there. Sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of this has been resting on you know fuzzy statistics and uh, kind of conjured up data um, that makes presents a problem, and then certain groups come in to try to present the solution to the problem, so they benefit from it both ideologically and uh, financially at times as well. Um, you know, beyond, you know, we've talked a, a, a couple, about a couple different things here in terms of some of the issues in the community, uh, caste, 
some of the hindophobia that uh, some in the community are facing, whether high-level officials or others. Do you see any other challenges uh, for the Hindu American community, either currently, or do you see anything kind of going forward? Or what do you think is the f- what the future holds um, as the community grows and obviously has attained uh, educational and financial success? Well, what what I have told people uh, is that our biggest challenge is the fact that we don't seemingly have big challenges. Sure, the, the, the caste attack is a challenge, but, you know, because there's no, there's no substance there, it's not a bit. The problem for us still is that our community is relatively unknown, right? You know, uh, you know I've talked about this before with HF. You know, Pew puts out a poll every five years that talks about the familiarity of religions and Hinduism is still at the bottom of the pile, right? Now, this is a good thing because it's an opportunity to define ourselves in a positive way, which is the truth. It's a bad thing because we can be easily defined in a negative way, right? And I think that, you know, remains our biggest challenge. And what do you think needs to be done um, if you were speaking to an audience of, you know, Hindu American, you know, let's say um, 20 something year olds or, you know, uh, young professionals? What, what does a community need to kind of address some of that in that apathy, well, so to speak? What I have told people and I, I told I spoke at a temple, you know, maybe a month ago and, and told them this, you know, it's it's time to take down the tree lines. Right. You know. I always joke every temple I go to, and I've been to many, you know, they're always behind tree lines, right? They're always hidden and they're very insular. And, you know, we chase away people who are in the parking lots and it's time to take away the tree line. So I told you is every temple in America should do an open house, right? Put out some free Pollock Panera non, right? Cause everybody loves their Indian food. Send a little invite in the mail to everyone in, in the zip code that surrounds the temple and invite them for an open house to teach them about, you know, Hinduism and, and what the temple is and what the temple does. And do that once a year, right? We we know we've we've got the money to do it, right? For Palak Paneer for a couple hundred people. And it, it you know, you, you have to open up um, because if you don't, you know, you are very easily cast in any light that anybody who doesn't like you wants you to be cast in, right? And so we have to go on the offensive. And it's very, very unnatural for us to do this. But, you know, it's, it's what has to be done, in my opinion, um, you know, for the future. And if you're a student, um, what would you say to students? Uh, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, Hindu Americans are oftentimes Hindu Americans are on college campuses uh, with very, very far left politics. And along with that, we've seen, you know, you mentioned dismantling global Hindutva at the beginning of our um, conversation, those types of events or, you know, the attacks on Hindu holidays like Diwali and Holi or, you know, just this um, very anti-India, anti-Hindu sentiment that's being promoted by professors, but also other student groups. How how would you say that that tide can be turned by Hindu students? Yeah, I think it, it's tough and it's, it's about resilience, right? Um, you know, the, you know, pro-radical Islamic, you know, groups and their sympathizers are, 
very active on college campuses. And, you know, I think it's very important to play, to play defense and, and to fight, you know, these resolutions that they're trying to pass at the trustee level or the student government level. But, you know, I think playing defense and then being resilient is, is very, very important. Great. And just for kind of our final um, question, just to wrap things up, if you had any uh, words of advice to any young Hindu American that has aspirations of a political career, what advice would you give them? Well, the, the first thing I would say is that you can get involved in politics without making it your career, right? The, the great thing about politics is, you know, if you want to dedicate if you want to dedicate one hour a week to it, there's a place for you. Mm-hmm. If you want to dedicate uh, a day a week to it, there's a place for you. If you want to dedicate your entire week to it, there's a place for you, right? You can, you know, knock on a door for an hour. You can, you can knock on doors for an hour. You can make calls. You can you know, lick envelopes or you can donate. And, and so there's a place for everybody in politics. And it is important to get involved because, you know, as we know, it, it determines everything. It determines our future. And so, you know, what, what I would actually counter is by saying it's not about necessarily having a career in politics. It's about being involved in politics and, you know, finding how you want to get involved. And so, you know, I think for many people, they think, oh, either you, you know, dedicate a career to it um, or you you don't, where, where it's actually not true. It's it's very much, you know, you can get involved, you know, however much you want. Right. I think wise words, um, I think for everyone, whether you're Hindu American or not, um, that to get involved um, in whatever capacity that we can, um, because we can't blame others if we're not involved and we're sitting at home um, and we're not doing anything about it. Uh, so I want to thank you again, uh, Senator Anthony, for joining us today for this um, enlightening conversation. Um, and thank you for all that you've done in your career and for representing Hindu Americans um, at one of the highest levels of political office. So thank you again uh, for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help this show get discovered by more listeners. If you want to help ensure that more of these get made, you can make a donation to HAF at www.hinduamerican.org slash donate.